Hey, this is Mike Hancock. I'm the chairman and founder of the Circle of Excellence Group. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to Leadership is Changing, the podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today. If we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. It is now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Today, our guest is Mike Hancock. Mike, welcome to the call. Thank you, Dennis. It's great to be on the call today. Excellent. So I'm just going to give a little bit about Mike's background. So Mike is the chairman and founder of the Circle of Excellence Group, an international organization that gives business owners access to prosperity, freedom, and purpose. For over 10 years, he has worked with 300,000 entrepreneurs in over 50 countries. Acknowledged as one of the 33 speakers in the world to be certified globally. In other words, a global speaking fellow and also a CSP. Mike has contributed to the industry as an international speaker, regularly visiting six continents, as well as the official chairman of the Global Speakers Federations, leader to Legacy Global Speaker Summit in 2018. So Mike, that's awesome and really glad to have you on the show with me today. So Mike, just give us a little bit more about your background, if you can, a little bit about what, you, you know, what you've done and, and it's really exciting to hear from you. Thank you, Dennis. Background's such an interesting question once you get old right? So, so it's like how much or how little. I was, I was orphaned at 15. I spent the last two years of school with my, with my best friend and his family. And then I didn't have the opportunity to go to university. I had to go out and get a job. So I, I got a job, which was an amazing job, actually. I wish they had them these days. More companies should do this. And I know you're speaking to CEOs out there, Dennis. So I'm going to tell people what it is because the younger CEOs have probably never heard of it. The job was a cadetship. And literally what it was, was it's like an apprenticeship in an organization. So you sign up for two years and basically my first three months, strangely enough, I worked in an auto parts company, which was strange because I know nothing about cars. But, um, but my first uh, three months was in the store and I was packing boxes and driving forklifts. And then I went from there, I went straight from the store into the advertising and marketing department. So I learned marketing the very next thing. And I was literally in those days painting billboards for the fronts of shops and things like that, which is what happened. From there, I went into, actually, I went in to be the CEO of the company's 
assistance assistant. So basically I was in all the board meetings. I took all the minutes and then I went from there into the importing and exporting department. So I learned all about importing and exporting in the next three months. Then I went into one of their branches, which was really in a high tech thing. So I got to visit all the big factories like Bosch and 3M and see what they were doing and stuff like that. And then from there, I went into the retail side of the business and I did three months as a sales rep. So I was literally driving around in my company car. And by the time I finished, the company actually pulled the program. I was probably in the last batch of people that went through it. And I really think it was fantastic. So by the time I was pushing 20 years old, I got my first management job and I was really, really experienced in all facets of not only this company bar business. So I stayed with that company for another two years. Then I moved into financial services and I grew through the ranks there as well. I was the leading manager in out of, I think they had 1500 at the time in the company uh, by the age of 27 then left that company, became a professional musician for a few years, lived in the US and then got back into financial services in New Zealand and uh, ended up being general manager sales and marketing for what at the time was the largest financial service conglomerate in the country, 250 million of budget I had to get a year. And then in 2002, I became an entrepreneur, speaker, author, own businesses in real estate, construction, travel, um, talent management, uh, the list goes on and on, events, et cetera. So that's really been my journey. And, and these days, you know, we love to travel. We love to work with entrepreneurs. My partner, Landy, and I, who I know you know really, really well, um, we just have a heart for, for people who are building companies. So whether that be the entrepreneur or the intrapreneur, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really a heart for leadership. And in 2017, we started the Conscious Leadership Movement around the world, which now has about 2,000 members. And yeah, that's, that's been our journey in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. In a nutshell, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, even just what you've shared with just about the, all the different roles you did within the company, how did that set you up for future roles by having the ability to actually and experience and actually doing all these different roles? How, how did that set you up? Well, I really think that, you know, for me personally, I'm, I'm what's called a polymath. So I'm all over the place, meaning I'm good at everything and an expert at nothing. So although da Vinci was a polymath, so one would argue that he wasn't an expert at everything. But from that aspect, that gave me variety. It allowed me to see what I liked and didn't like. So very early on, you know, by the time I was 20, I went, I never want to get my hands dirty. So when when the opportunity came up for me to enter into financial services and wear at that stage a three-piece suit to work, I was really chuffed, man, you know. And the idea of going and getting on planes and going to different places and things like that. And that was just, and it still is, there's still just the adventure in me. It's probably my Sagittarius as well. But from that aspect, I think it was fantastic. And that's why I said, you know, the CEOs listening here, you groom amazing people from it. You know, the people that I saw and that I went through, there was a group of eight of us went through, we're all the same age at that stage. I just turned 18 when they recruited me. And everybody else was about the same age. Some were 17, some were 19. So they were really talented people. 
and they grew lots of talents really quickly. And, you know, I think if the leadership of the company hadn't changed and I think if, you know, they hadn't have closed that off, I would have found it very difficult to leave that company because I really understood it. I understood the industry and everything within two years. And, you know, there's an old saying, and I know you know this, when you look at somebody and say, how long has he been doing that? And they say, oh, he's been doing it 30 years. Well, has he got 30 years experience or one year's experience 30 times? And most people have one year's experience 30 times. But this just gave you so much vast experience in such a short space of time. I really highly rate it. You know, and that's why internships work and things like that as well for the same reason. Yeah, I think uh, if organisations, you know, thinking or taking that extra approach as well and using graduates in the sense of giving them the opportunities to have an all-rounder type scenario over those first couple of years to give them different uh, experiences and that, that will play pay and also play a big role in actually helping people in their lives and their careers going forward. And I remember a senior leader within Hewlett-Packard a few years ago in Asia-Pacific. And he was his next role was to head up their whole region. And he actually took a side-step role and almost another level down, but in a totally different organisation. And people sat there scratching their heads going, what are you doing? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Well, within 12 months, he leapfrogged everybody and took their bigger role because he had a wider experience and bigger vision based on those different roles that he had done. And when they actually stepped back and looked at his career, it wasn't just that one role he did it. He did it in several roles whereby he went and got those different experiences and and that set him up for success within the organisation and then later on when he moved on to other organisations as well. Absolutely. So, Mike, who is your favourite leader? Now, that's somebody who's alive or somebody maybe from history. So who's the favourite leader and why? That's a tough question because I'm tending to lean to politics on it. And that's a no-go zone, as you, as you know. So I can definitely say I've got some very unfavourite leaders in the political field. And at the moment, they're ones that most people think are very good. And the ones that probably most people think aren't very good, I tend to think are doing some pretty cool work. But I would say that my most favourite leader probably of all time is probably Alexander the Great. Okay, and why? Why why Alexander the Great? He is Macedonian, Dennis, not technically Greek. So, you know, you might argue that point. but (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm getting over that. My new book, Conscious Leadership, which came out a, about a month or so ago, as, as you know, and, and thanks, thanks for buying it. The very first chapter, the introduction on that was on Alexander the Great, and it was on his humanity, really, with Darius of Persia. And Darius really thought that Alexander was a flea in his, you know, on the dog. And he really thought that he was going to be able to get rid of him. And the first time that they fought... You know, Alexander brought about 20,000 people. Darius had 100,000. And Alexander just turned his whole army to toast and Darius ended up running away. And the humorous thing was that he ran away. Darius left all his gold, which he was dragging around with him, all his wives and his children, which he was dragging around with him. So Alexander got his family and got everything. But instead of killing all those people, which you see in, you know, like Game of Thrones and you know, the the Tudors and everything like that to, to get rid of them. Alexander basically said to the wife, Andy got Darius's mother, you know, you are a queen and you are the king's mother. So 
that hasn't changed. So you will now just be a queen in, in my realm. And so he treated them all like royalty. He, in, in fact, treated them better than Darius had treated them. And he treated any of the army that wanted to come and work for him in the same way, treated them reverently. And so when he fought Darius the second time on the plain of Arabella, which is now in Syria, just near the, the border of Turkey and, and Iraq, this time Darius brought out a whole lot more people. Alexander had, you know, a pretty mixed up army by that stage. Again, he, he slaughtered everybody. And then when Darius ran the second time, Alexander, of course, chased him. But Darius had a revolt. And one of his generals, who was really unhappy and wanted to take over Persia, killed Darius. So when Alexander found the body, he wasn't rejoiced, he cried. And he took the body to Babylon, which was a long way, and buried it with full royal honours, as a king should be buried. And then he hunted out that general, and he delivered that general to Darius's mother, and they had him tied between a few trees and torn to pieces as his justice. Now... Later on, after Alexander had conquered all of that and done all of that, he actually, he did what a lot of people do when they get to the top, he self-destructed. But I think when you ask me the question, why is he my favourite leader, leader, is because he had vision, he went to places unknown, he could enlist people, people believed in him. I mean, you know, go to Egypt today, the northernmost town is Alexandria, the greatest library and basis of knowledge in the world was in Alexandria, and that's named after him. I mean, so many settlements in the world these days are named after Alexander the Great. It's a shame that it all got to him in the end and he became a drunk and all of that sort of stuff. That's another story. But, but you know, given that he didn't have the internet or anything like that, that's probably a pretty pretty good one. My favourite modern leader was my first mentor, Steve Bielos. I worked with him in corporate and he was an amazing man. I still know him today, 73. And he taught me business and he taught me sales and he taught me a lot about life. So, and he was Croatians, sort of all coming from that region, I think, around the world, the Med. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Excellent. And so when I talk about the, the term, the name of the show, Leadership is Changing, well, what does that mean for you? Well, I think, you know, it's a great question, Dennis. When the year was, I went to my very first high-level management conference when I was working for the largest financial services company at that stage in Australia, and the year was 1987. And the first project that they had us do, and I was in my very early 20s, was, and I think there was about 150 of us, was write a five-year plan for our business. Like in 2020, are you kidding me? Write a five-month plan, that's too long. So leadership is changing in that the only constant in the universe is change. And the, the great management books of the 80s and the 90s, the Peter Druckers, you know, the, the Ken Blanchards and those sort of guys, that's all great. But a lot of it is simply not relevant today because we live in a society where we have to pivot not every six or 12 months, but literally every month. And we have to, what works now is not necessarily going to work. And it's not because of COVID. COVID just showed it to people who hadn't seen it yet and to people who were getting away with 
things. I mean, we live in the age of, I'm going to go back to answer your question a little bit. In 2015, we ran a series of events around the world. You may have even come to one called Trend 2020. Guess what? It is 2020. And in that series of events, the number one thing that we found after running that in probably about 14 or 15 countries was that the age of youism was coming. We called it hashtag youism. And what youism is, is that everybody expects everything to be individualised for them. Now... I'll tell you who does this really well are the car companies, Mercedes and BMW in particular. You go to their website now, and if you want your BMW 3 Series, then you go and kit it out with your options on the website, and it prices it up for you. And for instance, I'm one of these people, I like red leather in a car, right? Now, it's not going to look good in a red car, or in a black car, I like white leather or red leather. Now, you can do that now, and it it gives you a certain, you might have a BMW, you know, 325 or whatever the hell it is, but you've got your own personalised interior. You've got your personalised sound system. You've got your 19-inch rims with all, all everything you want. That's what everybody expects these days. So to have a any organisation, I don't care if it's the biggest company in New Zealand, I know you've got a new, lot of, you know, so Fonterra. I don't care if it's Fonterra or a company with 100 people in it. All of those people need to be able to create individual experiences for their clients in today's market. And my research tells me that's not going away between 2020 and 2030. If anything, it's going to be heightened. The other thing is that we expect now, you know, when I was a corporate, I left corporate in 2002, Dennis. And one of the reasons I left was I remember that our social responsibility manager that was only appointed a year before I left Basically, the CEO said to him, you've got a budget of a million dollars, just spend it and don't mess it up. We've just got to do this. That was the feeling, right? Now, here we are 18, 20 years later. This is a real thing. We have to have real results from from that spend. We have to give back to society. You know, in South Africa, every corporate over a certain level has to basically put a percentage of money towards actually helping an entrepreneur, so a small business. So different countries have different rules, but, but you know, corporate social responsibility is the other big thing that's changing. And I think if you're not doing it in your business and if you're not real about it, then your business is going to get pretty hard hit in the next few years. Yeah. So they so two things. Yeah, corporate social uh, responsibility, but also what you said was around creating that individual experience and that word experience for that individual is really quite key for a lot of people nowadays. It's uh, I, I love what you say about the you know the, the red leather, the interior of the car and being able to have that option to choose what you want is, is amazing. And so organizations are going to have to be able to move and, and change. And as you said, you know, it's changing so quickly that the universe, the thing in the universe right now, it's what is constant is change. And we're seeing a lot of that happening for sure. And it's um, interesting because as much as that happens, Dennis, I don't know if you've bought a car recently, but we don't own a car at the moment. We're never in one place long enough. We think we might have to buy one. Hence, I've been looking at BMWs and Mercedes. But I cannot tell you how much cars, even though they have all this stuff now at the top end where you can customise it, how much every car looks the same. Hmm. 
You know, in the 70s and 80s, cars actually looked different. You know, a Corvette looked incredibly different from, say, a Holden or a Ford or something like that. But these days, every damn car looks the same. It's sort of like, why bother? Yeah. yeah. So I think they, I think companies have to address this. Somebody has to be bold in their in their right. industry. So there's, I think there's real space for boldness going forward as well. Yeah, so space for that. Wow. Yeah, and, and being bold, being different, being out there, which is really interesting. Ah, wow, boldness, amazing. Hey, so how has your business or industry changed and how is that, you know, what demands that put on you or your team? Yeah, fantastic question. Well, our industry changed overnight because whilst Lundy and I own five companies that sort of, most of them tend to tick along a little bit without us. We don't have to do a lot within them. The fact of the matter is that all of them are driven through the speaking industry. So our number one marketing tool is speaking. So, and speaking means for us means being on stages, that's number one. Guess what? That changed overnight. Running masterminds, guess what? That had to move online. Webinars, that's good. That didn't change at all. And uh, then referrals, and that's good. That didn't change as well. So basically about 30 to 40% of our marketplace was changed overnight and I can't see it coming back at any time soon in the same way. You know, I know New Zealand, for instance, is, is now essentially out of the COVID scenario at the moment, but there will be something else. I mean, this has been heightened in the world. It's, it's not going to go away. It's going to come back and haunt us over the next 10 years in other ways. So... For, for us in our business, we just really, we fought the tide and the tide was, and we're, we're really lucky because we have a long tail in our business. So money wasn't an issue for us. So, you know, we don't live from hand to mouth. Our business doesn't operate like that. We have contracts that go on for up to basically two years. So our tail's about 18 months. So we didn't have to, we're lucky we didn't have to react like some people. But I think the answer to, to your question without, you know, boring everybody with my own stuff is that we really sat down and we said lockdown happened in March, towards the end of March, around the 20th, 23rd. We said Easter that year was about the 10th or 11th of April. We said we're not going to do anything now till Easter. We're going to just chill out, put our feet up till Easter, relax, do what we have to to serve clients. And then after Easter, we'll do a strategy session because our minds will be in the right space. We're not going to react at all because we don't need to react. And strangely enough, late March was a really good month for us. And then in we allowed Easter to come and go. We did our strategy session. We identified what I just told you. And we realized that we had to do very little and we're putting a planned process in over a six to 12-month piece to just open up different ways of marketing that weren't reliant on so much live appearances type stuff. So we fought the tide in being reactive. We really sat down and said, let's not be reactive to this. Let's sit, let's simmer, and then let's look more long-term because this is going to happen again and again. So that was the angle. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, and I saw that reaction from a lot of people, in particular when it was starting to happen a lot and people were starting to think about all oh, lockdowns and so forth happening in different countries. And then all of a sudden I saw people come out and they were going, oh, we could do this, you could do that and all that. But then within two weeks, they were quiet, they were gone. And it was like, 
well, what's happened here? And then I'm thinking to myself, no, because a, a real leader will actually be there to be there with people, decide what they want to do and be in control. And I think what you're saying there, Mike, is that some things happen like the COVID side, the pandemic, is out of our control. But what is in our control is the way that we react to it. In other words, our Absolutely. attitude. And and then where we're going next. And that was the big thing. And, and I saw you and uh, Landy take that on board, do what you had to do, and also take people on that journey with, uh, with you as well. And it was really good to see. And yeah, I think that there has been some people who have reacted. And I, I, I was um, just saying the other day that I was working with a leader who became obsessed with what was going on. And when I asked what was going on for him, and he was like on the couch and watching the news day in and yeah. day out, doom and gloom and things like that and so much, and I don't know what to do. And I went, well, I do. He goes, what's that? I went, turn the news off. Absolutely. Turn the TV off. Now, don't get me wrong, get to find and understand what's going on, but then you move on. You you, you just need to get into some action or do what you need to do, whatever's right for you, to move forward. And if you sit there on the couch, it's not going to serve anybody. And so Absolutely. Um, and, and for him, he uh, also, from our perspective, one of the things I forgot to mention, because it really is, it's a couple of months ago, at least at the moment, we made sh we knew that that was happening. So we did something that I don't think very many people did, and in fact, only one person so far has ever done it back. Even though we talked about it with everybody, is we actually sent voice notes or made phone calls to all of our strategic partners and all of our clients basically and just went, hey, we're just checking in. How are you doing? If you need us, we're here. If you want to talk, we're here. We didn't say, hey, we want you to buy this product now that COVID's on. We just said, hey, we're here to listen to you. And one of our key strategic partners in the US, um, I sent him a voice note because of time, time differences, but he was actually up panicking he basically came back to me and said, have you got time to talk right now? And I spoke to him for half an hour. And by the end of that half an hour, I was able to give him real perspective. And he was really thankful. And then he said, hey, listen, I've got this opportunity. I think it's right for you guys. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, wow. Yeah. So I so think just team... doing, doing things like yeah. that is fantastic. Yeah, I think the important thing here is that if you are treating people, looking after people. Just a bit like the example you gave with Alexander the Great and the way he treated people, like the, the Queen and so forth, but treated them as they were. That if we can treat people in a way, and I think, Mike, those leaders or those people who have treated people well over the COVID-19, like what you did, checking in to see how they are, that's really special. And I think that's going to really help a lot of people. And it's helped people that you've contacted to see how they are and so forth, which is really good. So, listeners, we are on the show here now with Mike Hancock, who's my guest here today. And so, Mike, here's another question for you. If there was one thing that you could change in business as a leader today, what would it be? Short-term thinking. What I mean by that is, and it may seem a bit of a, an oxymoron given that I said before, you know, we've got a plan for like a month, two months now, we can't have a five-year plan. But that doesn't mean you, you have short-term thinking. And the key area I see this in leadership at the moment, and I'm unsure of your thoughts, is particularly in CEOs, a lot of CEOs see their role as simply their jump to the next big job, maybe international job, maybe their own business, goodness knows what they're, what they're thinking, maybe a 
to chairman of the board of, you know, BHP in Australia or something like that. And they don't invest in developing their people and their people. I would like to see all the people leave a business today and let's see what happens in that business. There will not be nothing happen inside of a week because there is no such thing as a business. A business doesn't exist. I don't care if it's Fonterra or Air New Zealand. Nobody's going to fly the planes without air crews, without booking agents, without baggage controllers. It's about people. So when you ask the question, what would I see like changing? What would I like to see change? Moving from a short-term view of the people in our business to a long-term view. Now, I heard an interesting statistic the other day, Dennis, I don't know if you were on this call, from Paul Taval, who's the, the, the current president of the Global Speakers Federation. He's a client and a friend of ours. But he said that in the Netherlands, which is where he's from, that now that everybody's had to work from home, that sick leave has gone from an average of 8% to 3%. So people are working from home. They're actually working harder. I was on a call with Mexico the other day, and these people are a talent management specialist from Mexico I was talking to. They were saying that basically in the US, which is their primary market that they work in, although they're based in Mexico City, people are working on average now an hour and a half longer a day working from home. I'm talking your regular, administrative, functional employee. But as CEOs, we don't trust our employees. We don't invest in them. We leave them hanging dry. We don't give them career paths. We actually joke around about them behind their back. I'd like to see CEOs become accountable and realize that it's not the people in their organization is the reason they're not hitting their goals. It's them. They need to change the culture of that organization, and that starts with them. And they need to take a more long-term view of their organizational goals because this is not a one-night stand. When you take on a job like that, you need to take it on with a responsibility that you're going to be married to that corporation for a very long time. The people in that organization are your children and your relatives, and you need to develop them. So that, that's the answer. Yeah, Mike, good. I, I think there's that saying out there that people join organisations but leave because of people, right? And if those CEOs and people aren't looking after the people, you're so right. I mean, that's really important. That's the crux of the business. I mean, you want them to be out there doing the best and delivering and doing and providing and, and serving the customers and all that because that's where the revenue is coming in. But as you said, if it's, it's the people that's going to make it happen. They're the ones that are going to actually carry that flag for the organisation going forward. And I agree, a lot of organisations don't develop their people and they will sit there with a spreadsheet, look at numbers, look at uh, certain things, but don't actually take the people element into it. How many times have we seen where people have gone and done presentations and they talked about revenue and they've talked about costs and they've talked about other things and then people is always the one just down the bottom a little bit and they refer to it as, oh, and other people. And so it doesn't get given the weight that it should be given for people to be looked after for sure. So I totally agree with what you're saying there. An interesting statistic in from 2017 from Forbes magazine was, and I remember it clearly, I've got a number for a head for numbers, is 83% of people who are currently employed are looking elsewhere. Amazing. 
It Maybe. doesn't mean they're actively on the job ads every day, but if somebody talks to them in a bar and says, hey, you'd be really good for this job, they'll go and they'll run to investigate it. And the reason, there's only two reasons that sit behind that. One is environment and the other one is leadership. And then the cost of a couple of things, right? If people like that do walk, who tend to be the ones that are walking? It's the talent that you want to keep. Uh, it's the people who, so there's the IP and the talent walking out the door. The cost of actually bringing new people on board and getting, the, getting them underway is huge as well. It's just really amazing. So, Mike, just based on what you're just sharing there about the, the leaders looking after the people, investing more of a long-term view on that, if I was to flip it around and say the question, which is, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Oh, look, I think it's, in, it's changed incredibly. So I think uh, if you ask anybody in talent management these days, they'll tell you that the induction course that they went on when they were employed 10 years ago, where they said, here's your desk and here's the coffee machine and, you know, you can go to the toilet at 10, 15 and all of that sort of stuff, now is actually an induction session of, what time would you like to go to the toilet? What time would you like to have lunch? And which desk do you want? How would you like us to paint your office? So I think employees really have an expectation that leaders will be flexible, that leaders will be transparent, and that leaders will be strong, and that leaders will be communicative. A good list there, right? So flexible, transparent, strong, and the ability to communicate. Yep. And so, yeah, very good, very good list there. Okay, cool. So what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? I think realistically it's the bridge between heart and head that's actually where the leaders are shining these days. And... I'm incredibly impressed by leaders who have strong left brains, decent right brains, but are able to couple that with heart-centred leadership because the short-term focus that I was talking about before of a short-term focused leadership is only looking at budgets and spreadsheets and pivot tables and shareholder return today. And I experienced this. One of the reasons I left corporate is I was sitting around the senior management table with eight others, including the CEO, and I realized that all of them were just looking at spreadsheets. That just didn't sit well with me. And I realized because of that, the business was heading into an area where they just couldn't see it heading because they were in spreadsheets. So I think if you bring that heart-centeredness into it and you have a heart for the business, and this is the same you're talking about when you're talking about sales before. I mean, we, we always share with people, and you know this, Dennis, that when you're selling anything, that has to be th it has to be three-dimensional. You have to either make or save people money. That's the first dimension. You have to create a sense of community or heart. That's the second dimension. And there has to be some sort of technology, a system in it, an A to Z which is the third dimension, it's very much the same for, for leaders. And it's interesting that the company that I work for, in 2002, we were doing $250 million a year in revenue. That company today is doing $85 million in revenue 20 Amazing. years later yep. because they're still looking at spreadsheets. Yep. Yep. And so you think that they haven't moved with the times? Oh, definitely not. 
Mm. Definitely not. And I know a couple of people who are still working there, several changes of management, et cetera, et cetera, but, but essentially they haven't moved. Yeah. I mean, as an example, like with the, with the Codex and other things, right, those organisations haven't moved with the time and then other things, other players come into the industry, the, the market's looking for different things, employees are looking for different things, and then when somebody comes in with that product, solution, offering that meets all that side of things and gives them the experience for them to experience for them, like the UISM, as you said before, it's amazing what they can achieve for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Mike, if I was to get you to bring out the crystal ball and start thinking about the future, the last question I've got here for you is where, where do you see leadership being in five years? That's a great question. I think we're sitting on the cusp of it going to one of three places, staying the same, improving or deteriorating. And I'm going to give you some perspective around that because that's a soft answer to your question. I think if leaders are able to embrace people development, if they're able to really have a strength, be transparent and be prepared to pivot. You know, I worked for big corporates for 20 years of my life. Most of them make excuses that they can't pivot, but I've seen big corporates pivot. And so it's not an excuse, it's just a laziness. And sometimes it costs a lot of money to pivot, but you get a lot. Everybody says, oh, legacy systems, our legacy system doesn't allow us to do that. That's BS, right? It might cost you 10 million bucks more to chop your legacy system on the head, but you're going to save five years over a 10-year period. So I think if we come back to those, those qualities that I mentioned of strength, of transparency, of flexibility, and of being heart-centered, as much as anything, I think that's going to stand us in good stead. I'm concerned that the education system, the MBAs of the world, we work with a lot of schools, we work with people who are changing education on the planet. The single biggest problem in education is exams. I mean, I don't know about you, Dennis, but when you run a company, when you run your company, when I run my company, if your CEOs run their company. There isn't an exam for that. If you get it right 51% of the time, you generally have a pretty good business. That has to change in education and people I'm working with in places like India and Malaysia and things like that, they're pioneers for that change. They're, they're talking to people like Cambridge University about getting rid of exams globally and changing the way that education is, is looked at. And I think if we can do that, then we're not going to breed cookie-cutter-style leaders that learn everything in a textbook that actually means sweet FA in, in the real world. But if it continues like that, if the current education system continues, if people continue with the thinking that the internet's the greatest thing in the world, then I think we're in trouble. Everybody says, oh, the internet, the internet, you know, got to go online, everything like that. I have a question for everyone who says that, and I say, if the internet is so good, and I love it too, right? We're using the internet now. We're in two different countries. But if the internet is so good, then why are we not performing better than our grandparents were? Why are we not more well off than our grandparents? Why is our quality of life not more? Why are we not working less? We work harder than our grandparents. Mm -hmm. You know, because of the internet... I can't tell you how many people email me over the weekend 
That didn't happen before the internet. I don't answer emails on the weekend. I don't look at them. So I think if we can get CEOs who, who can embrace the qualities of humanity, I think we're in good shape. I think if we head the way we're going, I think we're in bad shape and things are going to get worse. It's going to get more cutthroat. And I'm not saying good people won't thrive, but I think we'll see a lot more failures, a lot more stress. And I think the people who are in mindfulness and well-being have got a goldmine coming in the next 10 years. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a lot to say about people having the quality of life and uh, and enjoying that life. And I think COVID-19 has actually given them a bit of a, a time out to start and actually appreciate life as well. And uh, I don't know about where you were, Mike, but uh, here we saw a lot of people out walking every day in the community, saying hi to everybody, families out together, spending time together. It was really, really nice to see. And so um, a lot of that needs to come back for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So thank you for joining us today, Mike, uh, on the show. Um, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Very simply, just uh, two places. One is my LinkedIn profile. I think that's the simplest to connect with me. Mike Hancock, H-A-N-D-C-O-C-K, Chairman Circle of Excellence Group, or you can go to circleofexcellence.biz, which is our website. Great. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today, Mike. So what we as leaders know is to be true is that change is constant. And Mike was talking about that before. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown, the unfamiliar territory. It is time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. So look out for the episodes as they're being published. Have a listen, put a review and a rating. If there's feedback that you'd like to give me on the show, feel free to send me an email at dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. And if there is a question you want me to ask the leaders as I'm interviewing them or in my session, which is called Ask Dennis, feel free to send me an email as well. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to talking to you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.